Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Shanghai, Michael Bisbing versus Kelvin Gastelum. And Shaq, we got to wake up at 3.45 a.m. for this one. Yeah, man, and I hear a lot of people saying that this is a bad card and they really don't care about this card. I don't understand why. We got Zabit, Magomed, Sharipov. In his second UFC fight, we all saw his debut and how he looked. Chase Sherman and Shamil, Bisping and Kelvin, Li Jingliang, we always know he fights exciting. And, you know, we got the debut of Muslim Salikov, and, you know, we got a couple other fades going on. So I, I don't understand what everyone's talking about. Dude, I'm so excited, man, because a couple of these newcomers, like, there's dudes with 19-1 records coming into the UFC for the first time. We get to fade some people that always lose in the UFC. I'm very excited, but let's let's start with uh, this fight between... Gina Mazzani and Yanan Wu. So Gina Mazzani, she's minus 190. The comeback on Yanan Wu is plus 150. Now, initially when it opened, Gina Mazzani was like minus 245, Shaq. I don't know uh, I don't know who made that line or what they were thinking. Look, if we're wrong, we're wrong. But when you see it, minus 245 versus Gina Mazzani, I mean, I don't know if you recall her last fight, her UFC debut, where you know it looked like uh, Sarah McMahon was grappling a dummy there. Like literally a grappling dummy. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, I feel like it's more due to, you know, people not doing their homework for this type of card. And these are the type of cards I, I love to do my homework on. Well, I love to do my homework on every card, but this card in particular where not too many people are paying attention to all the fights. And uh, I think uh, Juan and you is a very live dog here. You know, Gina Mazzani, she uh, tried out for the Ultimate Fighter. She fought Juliana Pena, got completely dominated. There was arguably two 10-7 rounds, and then she took a three-year absence off. And then... Uh, she won a fight in Alaska, you know, against a soccer mom, against a, a jobber, you know, Alaska fighting. And then um, she uh, got her UFC debut against Sarah McMahon. And like we said, it was one-sided. Uh, you know, Sarah McMahon would do that to a lot of chicks, unfortunately. And it happened to Gina Mazzani. And look, I'm, I played Yan and Wu plus 175 on the opener, two units, due to the fact that I feel like she's the more well-rounded fighter, the fighter that could come back from adversity. And uh, just due to being more active. Now, look, Gina Mazzani, I'm sure she's a tough chick, but I feel like she hasn't been tested to the level of Yan and Wu. I feel like people have a perception that Chinese MMA is a joke, and I don't think it's a joke at all. And uh, I think Yan and Wu is going to win this fight by landing the more effective strikes. I feel like it might be a little hairy early when they're fresh, but once that uh, doubt starts settling doubt starts settling in for Mazzani, I feel like Yannan's going to run away with this, man. At dog money to fade, you know, a, a 4-1 or whatever whatever her record is, fighter. Not not saying that 4-1's a bad record, but just the facts that this chick's only fought, what, twice in the span of 3-4 years? And it's just, I feel like Yannan's the better fighter here, man. And uh, I think she's going to get the job done. Yeah, look, I mean, when we watch the tape on Gina Mazzani, so her two UFC appearances, one on Tough and one in the actual UFC. So on Tough, she loses via two 10-7 rounds. I get it was against Juliana Pena, but still 10-7 in both rounds. I mean, it just showed you don't belong here. And again, Sarah McMahon. When Sarah McMahon highlight reel finishes you in under a minute and a half, that's all I got to say. You know what I mean? It's not like Sarah McMahon laid on her for three straight rounds, which she does to everyone else that she beats, you know, because she loses a lot too, Shaq, just so you know. But when Sarah McMahon beats someone, you know, like the Sarah, like the Jessica I fight, you know, she'll lean you up against the fence for 15 straight minutes and make the whole crowd fall asleep. Against Gina Mazzani, Sarah McMahon looked like a fucking top two future yeah. champion. You know what I'm and saying? That's what led her, to, you know, being such a big favorite against Kellen Vieira, which you know we predicted on half the battle right here that uh, Sarah McMahon would uh, break after the first round, and it folded exactly how we said. Now, as far as Yan and Wu's concerned, you know, because it's not just a blind fade on Gina Mazzani, even though that would probably be pretty profitable in the UFC. But we did our research on Yan and Wu, and I'll tell you what, this chick is mean. She comes to fight, she's got some hands, and she also got some nice trick, uh, trip takedowns. She'll get in that full mount, she'll pound you out. She's vicious out there. She is a bit young. She's 21 years old. So, you know, two units, plus 175. I, th I still think the plus 150 is good. It's just one of these situations where, you know, people like to say, oh, she's only been fighting jobbers on, on the Chinese regional scene. Well, what has Gina Mazzani been fighting on the Alaskan scene? Because if you go back and you watch those fights, they're on UFC Fight Pass. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I think calling them soccer moms is actually a compliment, man. It's a... Uh, it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It's an absolute joke. Those fights should have never been sanctioned. So now we take advantage. You know, Sean Shelby is a very smart guy. He's like, okay, who can we call up to give Yan Wu a victory in her UFC debut? You, you know what, Mick Maynard? 
I got just the person. How about Gina Mazzani? You know, we were going to cut her, but let's call her up one more time. Come take this L in Shanghai real quick. No big deal. Plus 175. Let's get it. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Shamil Abdurakimov, the alphabet. He's minus 155, and he's taking on Chase Sherman, who's plus 115. Now, Shaq, this fight opened minus 120 apiece. Now we got a favorite and a dog with Shamil being the favorite and Chase being the dog. What's your opinion? Yeah, you know, Chase Sherman's a tough guy, very exciting fighter, but we know the deal with Chase Sherman. You know, he's very hittable. He's, he's chinny, you know what I'm saying? And Shamil, you know, is the better fighter, in my opinion. He's got the better wrestling. You know, I feel like he's got the better striking game, more suited to go the longer distance. But we know Chase Sherman has some devastating low kicks. And uh, I feel like when you're fighting guys like Grabowski and, and Rashad Coulter that, you know, you'll have success with that. But I don't think he's going to have success just throwing leg kicks here. I feel like he's got to create chaos, start slugging, throwing wild punches to see if he can uh, catch Shamil and get him out of here. I don't think he will. I'm going to go with Shamil here by 30-27 uh, decision. I think he's the better overall fighter. And I feel like he's the more smarter fighter. You know, it's always tough when you got the heavyweights in there, especially two unpredictable heavyweights like these two. You know, with Chase Sherman, he has been improving. His biggest asset are his leg kicks. And his biggest downfall is that he does not move that head off the center line. I mean, Justin Ledette put a fucking jab clinic on this guy in his UFC debut. Now, granted, that was his debut. He's gotten a lot better since then. But you also have to consider that, you know, I hate being the guy that's like, well, who has he fought? But seriously, who the fuck has he fought? He's been in there with probably the two worst heavyweights on the roster in Damian Grabowski and uh, Rashad Coulter. And, you know, when you fight Damian Grabowski, I mean, this is a guy that we saw him get knocked out in 14 seconds out dead against Anthony Hamilton. You know, that that's the kind of caliber we're dealing with with Grabowski and you know Sherman put a nice 30-26 clinic on him a leg kick clinic now the thing with Shamil is he's actually a volume striker for the heavyweight division and you know usually when we talk about the Russians we talk about their grappling chops but with this guy you know he likes to use that jab he likes to circle he likes to throw the occasional leg kick and he was actually beating the Black Beast if that was a three-round fight he would have 30-27 him but you know fourth round he got taken down and that was all she wrote so I'm not sure if he doesn't have the ability to overcome adversity or if it's simply a case where these are heavyweights and one shot will change the whole fight. You know the deal, man. These dudes hit like trucks. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, oh, wow, money just came in on Kylan Curran. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, I, I think this is a case where, you know, Shamil the technically better fighter. I think he's going to be able to move his head off the center line and maybe check those leg kicks. You know, who knows? If Chase Sherman can chop him down with the leg kicks, maybe Chase Sherman can come out here and get this win. But... I'm thinking Shamil is going to be able to, you know, parry the jabs and, you know, slip that shit and go ahead and uh, run away with a unanimous decision. I know a lot of people are eyeing the over one and a half and on paper it looks good, you know, but then again, these are heavyweights, man, and one shot could change everything, but it looks good on paper. So I wish everyone that took that shot the best of luck and I'm going to pick Shamil and may the best man win. Now, next up in the flyweight division. Kaylin Curran, she's minus 135. The comeback on Yan Zionan is minus 105, Shaq. I am licking my fucking chops on this fight now. Look, for those that are going to say that I'm blind fading Kylan Curran, you're completely wrong. If you look at the history of Kylan Curran's UFC career, her debut against Paige Ranzan, what happened? When things got tough, she squinted her eyes, she folded, and, you know, she got TKO'd. Um, Paige Ranzan. I'm not sure if you guys have heard my opinions on patrons in, but I I also feel as if she's a jobber. I mean, she's a tough jobber. She's a relentless jobber, but skill-wise, she ain't there. And uh, Colin Curran got dominated by uh, Paige Van Zandt. And, you know, then she goes against Alex Chambers, who we successfully faded last week and against a, a chick that, you know, hasn't been past 127 in a fight before. And uh, she found a way to lose that fight after winning the first two rounds, you know, even, you know, trading punches in the pocket. Chambers was getting off at times, and it was... It was laughable, to be honest. You know, the armbar attempt in the second round almost got her out of there, and Kern was waving her finger in the air saying that it wasn't going to happen. And guess what happened in the third round? She found a way to get armbarred and lose. And then, you know, she fights Emily Kagan, who is uh, a soccer mom. The, the, Emily Kagan's the chick that, you know, you bring in for all these chicks to get a win against. And what happened early in that fight, Dan? <laughs> Emily Kagan dominated Kylan Kern. I mean, she, from the opening belt, uh, Kagan was tagging Kylan Curran, and you know, eventually the age, just the, her body shut down, and you know, she got choked down. And then after that, everyone thinks that Kylan Curran's back. She's everyone's just under the impression that she's a nice girl, uh, but so what? This is the fight business, and when in the fight business, punches are getting exchanged, takedowns are happening, and Kylan Curran doesn't come back. So, you know, she comes in minus 110 against Felice Herrick. 
And I understand Felice Herrick is actually a really good fighter. But when you make Felice Herrick look like a K-1 striker, you know, the back take was beautiful by Herrick, and it happened. She's not on that level, but everyone was under the assumption that, way. she's going she's gonna to be back for this fight. You know, she was on the uh, countdown show, The Road to the Octagon, and, you know, after that, she fights Jamie Moyle, which was actually the most winnable fight for her, and she still found a way to lose every round. You know, in the first round, Jamie Moyle is striking is laughable, you know what I'm saying, and, uh... I mean, Jamie Moyle weaseled it. Not even weasel. She straight up beat her. She got the takedown. 30-27 on all three 30-27 on all three cards. She took her down whenever she wanted to. Colin Kern, she hits like this state where she gets an autopilot. When you stay on her and land punches, she you knows she winces. Then she, she's really not fighting. It's not like she's pretending to fighting. It's just that she's in there and she just doesn't have a purpose when she's in there. And Jamie Moyle found a way to get the job done. So then they match her up with Alexandra Albu, who, you know, some people think she's 6-0, and but really she's 2-0. and And, you know, Albu takes it to her for the first three rounds. And let's just be honest, Albu is what we like to refer to as a jobber. I mean, she's hot as fuck, don't get me wrong, but that has nothing to do with fighting. And uh, Albu dominated her for two rounds, and she took it to her when the punches were letting fly. Colin Curran winced, found a way to get taken down, slammed on her head, and Albu got the job done. And, you know, people are under the assumption, well, hey, she didn't quit her last two fights. She did quit. And you know what's going to happen here again? Yan Zhaonin is no slouch. Yan Zhaonin comes in there to hurt girls. And, you know, she's putting in that work. She left China for this uh, camp, went down to Albuquerque, New Mexico to train with her boy Lee Jingliang at Jackson's MMA, hitting pads with Frank Lester, in the fire with Holly Holm and Michelle Watterson, which is good for us. I feel like everything's going good uh, leading up to this fight. And I mean, this chick is vicious, man. She throws hook, uh, not hook kicks, but side kicks to the face. She's throwing big punches inside the pocket. And I mean, you know, people would say, well, how's her ground game? It's not going to matter because how's Kylan Kern's ground game? We saw the Chambers fight. We saw the Paige Van Zandt fight. We saw the Albu fight. These chicks ragdoll her. And, you know, Yan Zaunen's going to do the same thing. I actually think Yan Zaunen has potential to, you know, maybe, maybe even be a top 15 chick in this weight class. You know, I think Chicks at this level aren't used to hurting girls. And Yan Zaunen, if you watch the tape, she hurts girls. And her striking is serious, man. You know, she's, uh, she, after her first loss when she was like 19, 20 years old. In 2010. In 2010, you know, she took a, allegedly took a five year, uh, hiatus, you know, to kickbox. And she won those kickboxing fights. And then she comes back and she goes on a complete tear. And I mean, when you're throwing side kicks to the face and you're, knocking girls out dropping girls that just shows me the type of uh level of fighter that you're on so i think she has potential long term but short term is colin curran and i feel like she's gonna get the job done here the second one of those sidekicks lands to the face colin curran's gonna be questioning herself she's gonna be doubting herself which she does in every single one of her fights don't try to don't try to give the girl too much respect because she's nice and because she's hot or whatever the case might be don't give her any respect. You're getting a steal right now at minus 105. I max betted at minus 130, five units to win 3.85 units, and uh, it's going to it's gonna get the job done, man. Do not give Colin Kern any respect, just like we said last week against with Alice Chambers. So what if her opponent ain't been past a minute 27? So what if Yan Zaunen's fought jobbers? Because I'll tell you right now, she hasn't, actually. And, uh... Colin Curran, even if it becomes a fight, she's going to find a way to lose. She's going to find a way to go to her back. She's going to get outstruck here, I'll tell you that right now. And I feel like she's going to wilt under the pressure that Yan Zaunen's going to put on put on her, bro. I feel like we're going to see a lot better version of Yan than we've seen on the local scene. And I feel like, honestly, this could be a finish, man. Uh, I think Yan Zaunen's going to get the job done. Man, this is one of those situations where it's like, how the hell is Kylan Curran still in the UFC? But then you realize, you know, Sean Shelby is a very smart guy. You know, at first it was probably like Dana was like, you know, she's just young. She's just a kid. You know, let's let her develop. So we'll feed her Alex Chambers, the worst fighter on the roster. Alex Chambers doesn't just beat Kylan Curran. She finishes Kylan Curran. Then it's like, okay, we'll give you Emily Kagan, the next worst fighter on the roster. Emily Kagan goes out there, dominates Kylan Curran. And Curran somehow got a fluke submission win in the, in the last round. And it's one of those things where it's like, Look, uh, Emily Kagan never fought another day ever again. You know what I'm saying? Emily Kagan's like a 45-year-old soccer mom. It is what it is, man. And Kylan Curran barely won that fight. So then it's like, well, she she finally got her first win. Now she's going to get that confidence. Let's, let's throw her in there with Felice Herrig, put it on Fox. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Kylan Curran doesn't even last a minute 30 in that fight. So then it's like, okay, this chick's 1-3. What are we going to do now? So, you know, Sean Shelby's like, how about this? How about we bring in Jamie Moyle, who's like absolute garbage? 
I know Kylan can get that one, right? Like, maybe Felice was too too much too soon, but she can beat Jamie Moyle, right? She can't even win a single round on a single judge's scorecard against Jamie Moyle. And Jamie Moyle, I mean, if you see those strikes that she was throwing, man, that left hook was the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life, man. So, you know, you're getting 30-27 by Jamie Moyle, and then it's like, okay, well, Jamie Moyle was too much. How about we put her in there with a 2-0 fighter? That hasn't fought in about two years because she's been, uh, you know, in in college or whatever. <laughs> that two and zero fighter comes out there, gasses out after one minute, and still beats Kylan Kern. Kylan Kern's the kind of fighter where, you know, she'll she's athletic. Okay, that's the one thing she's got going for. She's good looking, which has nothing to do with fighting whatsoever. So she'll throw like one nice combination. Let's say it lands. Let's say she lands a head kick clean and rocks her opponent. She'll, Kylan will kind of freak out and be like, oh, shit, I'm not supposed to do that, you know, and then she'll tie up, and then she'll start wincing. And she'll get right back to the bullshit and starts <laughs> eating punches and go on autopilot mode. It's like uh, she's not really fighting when she's in there. It's kind of an interesting thing to see, and if you go back and you watch her fights, she'll have, like, one little burst of a combo and then take the the rest of the four minutes of the round off, and, and you know, like I said, she eats a punch, and she'll start making faces. She'll start wincing. She'll start looking up at the clock. She'll start flopping to her back. She'll do... Everything you absolutely don't want when you're picking on someone to win a fight. And when you talk about Yan Zionan, we're talking about someone that throws sidekicks to the face. She can box for a chick. You know what I'm saying? She boxed these chicks up. And some of these girls that she beat would absolutely beat Kylan Kern, man. You know, especially that last one. She bought that 18 and 10 fighter. I guarantee you, if that chick fought uh, Kylan Kern, she might even finish Kylan Kern. So, you know, and, and then you consider the fact that Yan's been in there at Jackson. She's training with Holly Holm every single day. That's her main training partner. I mean, listen, we're not talking about going up against fucking Ketlin Vieira. We're not talking about beating Valentina Shevchenko. We're talking about beating Kylan Curran. Who finds a way to lose. Kylan Curran has no business in the octagon. I mean, you watch uh, in between the second and third round of the Moyle fight and the Albu fight, and, you know, Jason Perillo is like, do you want this? Like, change your life. And you see zero sense of urgency from Kylan Curran coming out in that third round, which is clearly down two rounds in both those fights. So... She simply does not belong inside she the octagon, and if she was worse looking, she would have been cut already. And it is what it is, you know what I'm saying? When you get these type of opportunities, you have to take full advantage. Do not give Kylan Kern any respect when you're betting on this fight. And you're, like I said, more money just came in on Kylan Kern. She's the favorite now, which is a joke in my opinion. And uh, I feel like you guys aren't putting in your homework on Jan. I feel like Jan's the way better fighter. And like I said, I feel like long term, she's got potential to do things in this division. Like we said, she went to Albuquerque. She left her surroundings. And she uh, put in work running those hills up in Albuquerque. I know she's going to be the more conditioned fighter. I know she's going to be the more vicious fighter. And I know she's coming in there to hurt Kylan Kern. And when, when chicks come in there to hurt Kern, what happens? She folds. She winces. She looks for the door. Jason Perillo can tell her all that she wants. You know what I'm saying? She can train with Cyborg. She Jason can train Perillo with, knows what's up. She can train with she can train with whoever she wants to, bro. The outcome is gonna remain the same. The outcome is gonna be a Kylan current loss, and she's gonna be one and six now. You know, I'm glad you brought up that, you know, she can train with whoever she wants because I heard this interview with Kylan Curran and she's like, you know, sometimes I train twice a day. It's like, you're in the UFC. You can you imagine if our boy Vic said sometimes I train twice a day? Like when you talk about guys like Vic, when you talk about guys like Colby Covington, now Take your personal feelings aside. Let's just talk about him as a competitor. Colby's a dude that lives in the gym from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. He's in the gym for 12 hours straight. Vic lives in the gym. Dustin Poirier lives in the gym. All these guys that you know we like to bet on that win fights, they live in the gym. And Kalen Curran's all like, you know, sometimes I'll train twice a day. It's like, okay, we get it. You have no business here. You're coming in to take this L, and you will take this L. So I took the minus 130 on Yanzi Onan, five units. And even though it's and minus 105 don't now. Don't be surprised if I put more on it. If you guys want to go ahead and not, you know, buy into what I'm saying, not buy into what half the battle is always telling you, look at our history. Alex White, Max Bet, Easy Money, Randy Brown. You guys said that we were crazy for betting Randy Brown. He's a jobber. He lost two rounds to Augusto Montano. No, he didn't. What happened? He went out there and got the job done. What happened last week? We bet on a chick that ain't never been past a minute 27 against Alex Chambers. And what happened? We butchered her. We got a 10-8 round in a second. And the same thing's going to happen here. This is one of those type of plays. And look, when I generally put money like this on these type of plays, long term, they cash, man. And, you know, I'm not tuning my horn. I'm not. It's just, it is what it is. And I think Jan's going to go out here and get the job done. I do as well. She's simply too mean, and that's going to be a very nice cash. And like I said, look, I played the minus 130. Currently, it's minus 105, and I don't feel like, oh, I missed a good line or any shit like that. It was kind of like when I played Randy Brown huge, you know, at minus 170 or minus I 150 played, or whatever it was. Yeah. Then it hits plus 100. I'm like, oh, so I'm going to add more. Okay, because this is one of those situations where I'm not going to be greedy. Minus 130 was was 
way it was more than enough because we were talking yesterday. We were like, hey, man, you know, it's going to be like minus one. We were thinking it was going to be between minus 175 and minus 230. So, and I was ready to play minus 230. And I was going to play minus 230. <laughs> but now we, I now was going to max bet minus 175, minus 170. It could have been whatever. You know what I'm saying? It was, bet, it was about to be max bet season, and it definitely is now. And it, don't be surprised if I make this a Randy Brown type of play. So, Yanzi on end. Now, now it's time to get it done. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Bobby Nash. He's minus 280. The comeback on Ken and Song is plus 200. Now, something I noticed about this fight, man, is that the under 1.5 is set at plus 110. And, you know, obviously we already have enough money on the line, but you just got to think Bobby Nash is going to put this jobber out. And it's like, I know Bobby has dropped his first two fights, but, and you know, I don't always like to say, but look who was against, but, but fuck, look who was against, man. It was against Li Jing Liang and Danny Hot Chocolate. And, and Bobby arguably won the first round of both those fights, and now he's getting a jobber he that's coming off. <laughs> now he's getting a jobber that's coming off two straight losses, and you know it's one of those situations where Sean was like, "Look, Bobby, you know we like your style. You fought. You've simply fought really tough guys. I got something for you, buddy. We're gonna fly this jobber in. Just all you got to do is travel halfway across the world, and you'll get this win." And I think Bobby agreed. You know, right before the holidays come in there, get this win over this scrub. And, I mean, Kenan Song is the kind of guy, you hit him with a body shot, and, you know, it's one thing to go down right away. It's another thing when you wait five seconds and then you go down. It's just Kenan Song is what we like to refer to as a jobber. And Bobby Nash, he's got a money left hook, man. And not just in the UFC, not just the fact that he dropped Li Jing Liang and Danny Hot Chocolate. What about on the regional scene? The Luis Gonzalez fight. And I, I know Luis is a jobber. A jobber that beat Manny Sanchez, by the way. But I, I know Luis is a jobber, but it's the technique on that left hook, the power. If he lands that left hook on Cannon Song, I'll tell you right here, right now, in half the battle, that Cannon Song is going to take a canvas nap. I think that's what's going to happen. I got Bobby Nash. Look, no beg. It's minus 280. I'd like to just personally sit back and watch him get his first UFC win. But Shaq... He will get his first UFC win here. Yeah, you know, the issue of Bobby Nash and his first two UFC fights were his cardio. In the first round, he went all out, balls to the wall, was having the performance of his life against Hot Chocolate Roberts, in my opinion. And, you know, he gassed out in that second round, and uh, guys like Hot Chocolate, guys like Lee Jing, Jing Liang will capitalize on that. It's going to be interesting to see this guy, Keenan Song, coming off two losses. Uh, let's see if he can capitalize on it. I don't think so. Let's not forget Bobby Nash is a D1 wrestler. He's got that in his back pocket. And uh, it's just a matter of him pacing himself in this fight. Because I honestly don't think physically, even though Keenan is a very big boy, physically the power, the raw power, the D1 wrestling with the power punching that Bobby Nash possesses, I don't think Keenan's going to be able to handle it. I think Bobby Nash is going to come out here and get his first UFC win and move on to bigger and better things. Yeah, and once again, I feel as if the left hook will be a big weapon in this fight. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Zabit Magomed Sheripov. He's minus 425. The comeback on Shaman Marais is plus 305. Now, Shaman's no slouch. Shaman comes to fight. Shaman is experienced, but the thing with Zabit is, you know, I'm not going to write him at, you know, I'm not going to say he's the next generation or any shit like that, but I will say this. In that UFC debut, I mean, the dude looked like a prime Pettis 2.0. And when I say 2.0, I'm saying because he's got hands too. He doesn't just have all the flashy stuff. He's not just jumping off the cage. The dude, uh, dude can box his ass off for MMA, and that's something that Showtime never had. But when you're talking about Shaman Marais, I mean, we're talking about someone that's already been in there with Marlon Marais. We're talking about someone that paid his dues outside the UFC, knocked out guys like Robbie Peralta, and now he got that UFC debut at the right point in his career. So... What do you think, man? It's an interesting fight. It's a very interesting fight. You know, these are the type of fights where everyone's trying to, you know, parlay Sharipov. Or, you know, I do think the line could possibly be a little bit off because, like we said, Shaman Marais is no slouch. If you guys have been watching his career in World Series of Fighting, we know that Shaman Marais likes to put guys out. And, you know, his loss to Marlon Marais, he was like a young kid. Marais, it was, uh, Marais did move up to 145 to take that fight. And, uh, Shaman fought admirably, man. It's it's just Marlon Marais is on a different level, and to beat his, which is Marlon Marais' uh, teammate, by the way, you know he could be on a different level as well. You know, people are, you know, speculating if Zabit's the real deal or not, and you know I don't I don't want to find out. You know, I'll find out after this fight. If he takes care of Shaman, then you know he he probably is the real deal. Long term, I think Zabit definitely has potential to be top fifteen, but Shaman Marais, I think he's gonna have a great career as well. You know, if you see the value in that plus three hundred five, I would, I don't know. Uh, I don't knock you for uh, taking that shot. You know, Shaman Marais is that level fighter, in my opinion. But I do think uh, Magomed Cherypov is slightly better. Man, I feel like 
the guy has the potential to be really good. I mean, the, we saw that fight against Mike Santiago, who, by the way, didn't lose a fight for six or seven years before that fight. And uh, Zabit treated him exactly how he was supposed to be treated, not on his level. And I think uh, he will. the end result in this fight will be Zabit Magomed Sharapov getting his hand raised. Man, Zabit is so fun to watch. I mean, obviously, I mentioned how Even, he's not just flashy with the kicks, man. He's got serious hands, too. I mean... And the way he was slipping and ripping against uh, Mike Santiago, he'd slip and then throw a big uppercut, and it's like, and he pops heads back. And then obviously he'll jump off the cage and throw spinning back kicks at you. The guy's just super exciting to watch. But with Shaman, man, the dude hits hard as hell. The dude is experienced. He comes to fight. So I could see this being a three round war, but I could also see someone getting caught here because of the way that these two throw down. So I'm going to go with Zabit. I think he is the rightful favorite. But at the same time, Shaman is good enough to where if someone was taking that plus 305, I wouldn't fault them at all. For me personally, since I do think Zabit's going to win this fight, I'm, I'm going to just pass. I'm not going to parlay no minus 425, but it's going to be a hell of a fight. Definitely one of the fights to watch, and uh, may the best man win. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Moslem Salikov. He's minus 185, and the comeback on Alex Garcia is plus 160. Now, it's interesting, man, because... Moslem Salikov has been absolutely destroying everyone he fights on the regional scene, fighting dudes at 170 that have no business at 170, but hey, you handle them exactly how you're supposed to handle them. And with Alex Garcia, I mean, we've been criticizing this dude's gas tank since before USADA came in. So, you know, Alex Garcia can knock dudes out in that first round, but he historically gasses. And with Muslim, he's only been past the first round once in his career, and it was like in his third or fourth pro fight. What do you think, man? You know, I see a lot of Muslim Salikov plays, you know, buying into the hype, which is no problem in that. The guy could be the guy the guy that everyone thinks he is he could be that that next future you know russian star and you know alex garcia we know what alex garcia is we know there's certain guys that he can get out of there early like mike Pyle, like uh ben wall you know those level of fighters and we and it's pretty obvious that you know salikov is not that type of fighter but the thing that this fight comes down to is the wrestling alex garcia has a decent takedown man he took down neil magny several times he was on top that entire fight he did tear his acl in that fight Magny did what he did to Hendricks. He beat him from bottom, you know what I'm saying? And uh, the Sean Strickland fight, he took down Strickland three time, three or four times. And, I mean, Strickland just, you know, outlasted him, jabbed his face up, and, you know, eventually finished him. And Alex Garcia is definitely the more experienced fighter, the more tested fighter, the guy that's been through more adversity. And uh, But we know this guy, Muslim Salikov, I mean, he's been bred to do this. I mean, Wushu Sandow champion. I think he's got, like, 182 Wushu fights. And you know they don't they don't call him the the king of spin for no reason you know what I'm saying and uh, I think he I think he will get the job done here I'm passing just because I me personally I like the fights that no one's paying attention to I like the fights that everyone's just you sweeping under the rug I feel like most of the guys out there you know just paid attention to you know Shaman Marais and Zabit and on up you know those type of fights I don't feel like they put in their homework on the the undercard fights and you know I see a lot of Salikov parlays. And I wouldn't take anyone for taking that shot on Alex Garcia because when you're getting a guy that's been in there in the UFC that's faced adversity, that's got at least 10 UFC fights, right? You know what I'm saying? I feel like uh, either way, but I am going to go with uh, Salikov in this one. I actually do think he'll live up to the height in this fight particularly, and um, I'm interested to see how he does long term. Yeah, this is going to be a good one, man, because if it stays standing, I mean, Muslim Salikov on the feet, he's an absolute destroyer, and he sets up the spinning shit so nicely. He knocks dudes the fuck out. It's not just the spin, dude. It's not just the spin, man. He's got hands, too, and, you know, he'll slip off that center line, land a big right hand, and put dudes out cold. It's amazing to watch, but at the same time, barely ever been past the first round in his MMA career. I mean, basically all his fights end in the first round, which... On one hand, you can be like, well, hey, he's handling these guys exactly how you're supposed to handle them. But at the same time, man, in the UFC, you got to be able to go the three-round distance hard. Well, yeah, but, you know, sometimes necessarily it doesn't matter. Just because he hasn't been there doesn't mean he can't do it. And especially when he's fighting a guy that historically gasses out after the first round, it should be an even playing field. Yeah, it might be. And, you know, the one loss that we saw with... Uh with Muslim Salikov, let's talk about that because people are trying to act like it didn't happen because it was his fucking third pro fight. But, you know, it's one thing to take an L. It's another thing to take an L this way. And this is, this is something I noticed with Conor McGregor, too. You know, Remember when Conor McGregor got tapped out by Joe Duffy and that other fucking guy, like whatever his name is? Um, and it was under 30 seconds and he quick tapped, didn't even fight the hands. Well, Muslim Salikov had a similar situation when he lost his fight, man. He threw his spinning shit. Uh, the American wrestler fucking avoided it, took him down right off that spin. And as soon as it hit the mat, Muslim Salikov didn't have shit. You know, he wasn't he wasn't trying to regain his guard. He wasn't trying to get a half guard. He wasn't trying to get back up to his feet, wall walk, fight the hands, nothing like that. He gives up his back, 
and immediately, as soon as there's any pressure under his neck, you know what I'm saying? He's tapping that mat like Michelle Watterson. So, you know, just because, I, I know people are trying to say, oh, but that was his third pro fight, that wouldn't happen again. And it's like, okay, it might be tougher to get him to the ground now because he's had that experience, you know. I know he's training with Mark Henry. I know he's also done work at ATT in the past and AKA Thailand, all these places. But certain things don't change because, for example, there's dudes at my gym that, you know, are just strikers. Like, for example, JB Hopkins, he's an 11-2 and two Muay Thai guy. And we put him in there in MMA against a fucking state champion wrestler. And that state champion wrestler took him down right away and took his back and locked in the choke. And JB, uh, who has zero jujitsu experience because <laughs> he's just a striker, fought the hands and got out of it. He gave a thumbs up to the ref. That's the sign of heart right there. That's what someone with heart does in a situation like that. And that dude has no ground game. So... You know, with uh, Muslim Salikov, as soon as he faced any adversity, he's tapping that mat. He's not fighting the hand. So it's a different mindset. He's not comfortable on the ground. He's one of these dudes that gets choked out or he knocks you the fuck out. And just like Conor McGregor, you know. And, you know, we like to say, oh, well, Conor went on the big win streak. He won the belt and this and that. Yeah, but you saw what happened with Nate Diaz. As soon as that same situation came up again where he had to face any adversity on the mat, he found his way out right away, and I think Muslim Salikov is one of those guys. The issue is that Alex Garcia probably won't be able to exploit that. We're gonna have to wait till you know he fights someone else in, in that division. Because with Alex Garcia, man, if he comes out here and tries to bang with Muslim Salikov, look, Alex Garcia does have power. You ask Tim Means why uh, he played it so safe in that fight, and he'll tell you. I mean, Alex Garcia hits like a truck, and everyone knows that. But everyone also knows that Alex Gas has passed the first round. But don't be surprised if Alex gets knocked out here with a spin. I mean, that's what Muslim Salika brings to the table. But at the same time, Alex took down Sean Strickland three times, who's an established UFC fighter. So, man, it's a super interesting fight. I'm curious to see what kind of improvements Muslim Salikov has made on the mat. I don't think Alex Garcia is the guy that's going to be able to come here and choke him out and expose him in that area. So, for that reason, I'm going to pick Muslim Salikov. But, uh... I'm obviously hesitant to bet it. I'm not going to bet it. And I see people overconfident on it. We don't know enough to to be overconfident in this spot. That's why I'm passing. But best of luck to everyone playing it. And I do agree, Muslim Salikov will win by knockout. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. He's minus 160. The comeback on Wayne Guan is plus 140. Now, Shaq, you know what's interesting about this card is that you know, when people see the pictures of, you know, they see an established UFC fighter like Bruce Leroy, then they see a blank face you know, uh, of Wang Guan, they don't know who the fuck the guy is, and then they look up the topology, oh, he's from China, okay, I'm gonna play Bruce Leroy, it's like, dude, <laughs> you gotta put that work in, because with Wang Guan, this guy's 19-1, you don't often see records that are 19-1, and when we talk about that record, look, it's not the same as when Tomas Almeida made his UFC debut, or when Jimmy Rivera made made his UFC debut with that kind of record, and, you know, Jimmy Rivera's a fucking pick him against Marcus Brimage, you know, he's 16-1 and one at the time, this ain't that situation, but I'll tell you what, Wang Guan's no slouch at all, and he's been tested against Russians on the regional scene, he's 1-1 one one against the Russians, the one fight he lost, he got taken down the first two rounds, but that third round, he started getting back up to his feet, and that Russian that he fought, that he lost to, was like, what, 20-1 and one or something like that, you know what I'm saying, Magomedov, he fought a Magomedov, you know the deal there, so, basically, in that fight, he lost the first two rounds by getting grinded, but then he got back up to his feet in the third, he started sprawling more on the takedowns, and that was like in 2013, since then, he fought another Russian with the same game plan, and this time he did better, man. This time he made that dude submit to strikes, and that dude hasn't lost a fight since. You know what I'm saying? So Wang Guan is very experienced, and he's been in there with Brazilians. He's not just been in there with Chinamen because he's from China. Like The dude's been in there with a bunch of different people from different countries. And now he's uh, in ATT. He's been in ATT since August, which is a big deal because now like it's like, well, who's he training with, right? And it's like, okay, he's training with Dustin Poirier and, and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? And well, Alex Caceres, look, I respect the guy. He's flashy. He's exciting former street fighter, decently well-rounded, but he's also a 500 fighter, wins one, loses one. If you look at the guys that he's beat, and I hate to say all that, but when you look at the guys he's beat, the best win on his record is Sergio Pettis, and that's a great win, but let's look at that a little closer. Alex Bruce Leroy is a 145, or Sergio Pettis is a 125, you know what I'm saying? And Wang Guan is a fucking big 145. Wang Guan's going to be bigger than Alex Bruce Leroy here, and Bruce Leroy, he does great when he fights against these shorter guys that he can bully. I don't think he's going to bully Wang Guan. I actually think he's going to get knocked out here and you know if this is that UFC debut and Wang Guan's a little bit more reserved I see him winning a decision but bottom line I think uh when he when he hits Bruce Leroy I think Bruce Leroy is going to feel it that's the bottom line so I put two units on Wang Guan at plus 155 currently plus 140 I still see value yeah man uh Alex Caceres you know like you said 500 fighter and with 500 fighters 
they win some and they lose some, and it's about half and half. And, you know, Wang Guan, very well tested on the local scene, a big featherweight, like we said, training with Poye, you know, training with Enrique Barzola at ATT, took the initiative to leave his surroundings with China and come to the States to get that good training. And uh, I love when guys do stuff like that. Alex Harris, what can I say about him? You know, when he's fighting Cole Miller, where he can smash him, when he's fighting Masio Fullen, Orlando Dye, those type of guys, he'll win. But now he's fighting a 19-1 and guy, and you can't just ignore a 19-1 and record. A 19-1 and record, I mean, the guy's got a 95 win, a 95% winning percentage. He wins 95% of the fights that he's in. And, I mean, like we said, he fought Bekbulat Magomedov, who's the PFL uh, Bantamweight champion right now. And, uh, I mean, that guy's solid. He's like an eight-time Sambo world champion. And uh, it's funny, I actually bet on Bekbulat Magomedov. The one time he lost. The one time he lost. And, you know, I was was like, wow. And he could have won, too. And he could have won. And uh, it actually was a split decision somehow. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I got Wang Guan in this one as well. Like I said, Alex Caceres has pretty much lost half of the fights he's been in. You know, granted, it's been against fucking in the UFC since, like, 2010, 2011, whatever it is. So, yes, he's the more well-tested fighter, but I think Wayne Guan's got good circumstances coming into this fight. The fact that, you know, typically when you, like we said earlier, when you see a Chinese guy, historically Chinese guys, Chinese athletes typically don't do well, and uh, people are just under the assumption that Alex is probably going to get him out of here, but uh, I don't think so. I think Wayne Guan's actually the more overall, overall better fighter, excluding the takedown defense, but he's not going to have to worry about takedown defense in this one. I feel like the counters off Caceres' kicks are going to be there, and like we said, Wang Guan's a big boy, and he's been putting in the work, so I'm going to go with Wang Guan. Uh, I think Caceres, you know, if he has to come back from adversity, I mean, I feel like he might start smiling in there, touching gloves, and that would be good. That would be a good scenario for you, you know what I'm saying? You know, I didn't bet it personally because, you know, I have a great opportunity in my hands with, like I said earlier, Jan Zaun and Easy Money and with Jan and Wu. So, uh, you know, if those two win, then, hey, we can make talks. But, uh, you know, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. But the pick is Wang Guan. Yeah, and another thing about Wang Guan is it's not like this is some spring chicken, you know, 22-year-old making his UFC debut. This guy's 32, so he's seasoned as hell. And he's basically experienced everything you can experience on the regional scene before making that UFC debut. And that's so important because, like we said, even though it's not really comparable to Jimmy Rivera or Tomas Almeida in the sense that he's a potential top 10 guys, it is comparable in the sense that there's not anything out there that Bruce Leroy is going to do that's going to surprise Wang Guan. He's already seen it all. And also, Bruce Leroy historically gasses around the round and a half mark of every single fight, man. And that's not going to be good here against a guy as seasoned as Wang Guan. And, uh, yeah, I think Wang Guan's going to take care of biz here, and I'm very much looking forward to this opportunity. Now, co-main event of the evening, we got the best Chinese fighter of all time, Li the Leech Jing Liang. He's minus 170. He's taking on the American Zach Otto, who's plus 150. And I know this one's a little closer than, you know, the Chinese-American matches that we've seen on this card, but I still have that feeling that Sean was like, all right, Zach, you know what I mean? Like, c- come fight Li in China, you know what I mean? And, and the fact that Li Jingliang is in that co-main event in Shanghai, that says a lot, you know? Like I said, best Chinese fighter of all time. Tell me a better Chinese fighter than Li Jingliang. You can't. So, you know, now he's in the co-main event. Big spot for him. Li Jingliang gets tagged early in every single fight. But one thing about him is the Chinese are warriors, man. And they they get back up when they get dropped. They keep fighting. And the dude's been putting in work. He's well-rounded. And he's been beating some legit guys in there, man. And uh, now with Zach Otto, you know, Zach Otto, I respect the fact that he's found ways to win in his UFC fights. But... You know, when you're going to split decision with Josh Berkman, when you dominate Kichi Konimoto and then you start giving up position, what was the other split fight? Uh, Serginho? We can excuse the Serginho fight, which he definitely lost. People were trying to act like that was a robbery. That was no robbery. Serginho beat him in that fight 2-1. to one. But the other fights with, with Josh Berkman and Kichi Konimoto, it's like, bro, listen, you don't go to a split with Josh Berkman. You're supposed to embarrass Josh Berkman. I think Li Jinglong would. Paul Felder almost went to He arguably lost it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think we'll talk about Paul Felder in a week or two, man. Uh, you know, there's certain victims of hype here, and we'll, we'll address that soon. But uh, listen, Zach Otto, I think he's going to lose another split here. I think, you know, there might be some hairy moments early on because you know Li Jingliang is a slow starter. You know, he gets dropped in that first round every single fight. But I don't think this is going to be the fight where he finally goes out cold because that is going to happen soon. Don't get, it, don't get it twisted, Shaq. 
You put Li Jingliang in there with Mike Perry, and he ain't getting away with that shit that he's been getting away with his last few fights. But against Zach Otto, I do think he can get away with it. And I think that as the fight goes on, I think Zach's going to slow down, and Lee does not slow down. Lee will get his ass kicked early on, come back, and finish you. So I'm not exactly convinced it's going to be a finish. It could be. Don't be surprised. But regardless, I'm picking Li Jingliang as the winner. You know, initially I thought it was a good fight for Lee, but then when I started watching the tape, I mean, Otto's got a solid little game there, man. I mean, he's got a game where, you know, he's not going to try to finish you, but he's going to he's gonna try to win on points. And, I mean, he's got a nice left kick to the body, just like we saw Keitaro hit uh, Lee Jingleon, but that's Keitaro. But I feel like Otto's one of these experienced... Uh, I, I think Otto's one of these experienced... Um, Fighters, man. I know. I know he lost to Jacob Volkman, you know, which is kind of embarrassing. And he lost to Volkman outside after Volkman got cut from the UFC. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to my boy Biggie that also beat Zach Otto. <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, but I feel like he's gotten a lot better. You know, going to split with Serginho, the Kunamoto fight I watched. If I, I didn't think that was a split decision at all. I thought he won two rounds, two rounds to one. But I think he's got a solid game. And like we said, Li Jinglong finds a way to get caught early in all of his fights. And I see Otto winning that first round. But I feel like Otto's got the game to stay composed in one of these in the rounds one to uh or in the second or third round to possibly weasel out a decision. It's gonna be tough because we're in Lee's uh we're in uh, Lee's uh, hometown. But uh, you know I'm gonna go with Otto on this one, man. I feel like he's kind of underrated. I feel like he's one of these guys that you know on paper on tape he doesn't look he doesn't you know surprise you on anything. But I feel like when guys get in there with him, like we saw Sergino probably on paper should have smashed him, should have subbed him. But I feel like he's one of these guys that uh, has a tendency to make things a lot closer than people uh, perceive them to be. So I'm gonna go with uh, Otto on this one. Hey, look, if I had money on Li Jingliang, we'd sit here and have a nice, good old-fashioned debate, but honestly, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it, so we'll see who's right. Main event of the evening, Kelvin Gastelum, he's minus 325, the comeback on the former champion, Michael Bisming is plus 265. Now, you know, I understand why most are leaning and picking Kelvin, but man, to see uh, someone that was world champion three weeks ago at plus 265, I... I was a little taken aback, man. I know people think that, oh, he just got his ass whooped so badly, so automatically Kelvin's going to beat him. But, you know, the guy we saw Bisming lose to three weeks ago, I mean, the way GSP looked that night, I mean, that might have been the pound-for-pound -pound best fighter I've ever seen in my life, man. Because when you talk about, you know, GSP in his prime, you know, he was known for humping dudes or throwing a jab and never finishing anybody. And then he takes four years off. Whatever he's been doing in those four years, he comes back looking jacked out of his mind up a weight class and he's dropping dudes and finishing them now. I got nothing else to say, Shaq. That was, that, that was ridiculous. That was impressive. So yeah. what do you think, man? Yeah, um, look, you know, I lost on Kelvin against Wyman. I had three units on it, and going into the fight, I was thinking he was going to smash Wyman. I thought the straight left would play a major weapon. I thought the left kick to the body would play a major weapon, and uh, Jesus Christ, I don't even know who that guy was. You know, in the lead-up to the fight, in fight week, I saw the first interview and instantly knew that I was in big fucking trouble. I knew that Kelvin was talking about going back to 170, and he's still talking about going back to 170, and I'll tell you right now, Kelvin is not on a mission for gold anymore. And you know, look, if you're playing Kelvin at minus 325, whatever it was that you played it, and you're just basing it on the fact that Michael Bisping got his ass with three weeks ago, I understand. You don't think that he's ready physically damage taking wise to come back in here and take another fight which you know if that's what you truly believe hey you know i made the mistake last week of thinking that nick lunch's body was completely failing completely failing him and it turned out to be completely wrong and you know sometimes you're either completely right or you're completely wrong so you either win or you learn but uh i'm gonna go with bisping in this one man because i don't think kelvin's on a mission for gold i heard him say that he was a little burnt out mentally and you know bisping Bisping's that type of guy where he's he's used to this type of shit, and you know if Bisping's on his way out, then he's on his way out. I'm not playing it, so you know what I'm saying. Um, but I think that Bisping's a lot bigger. I feel like he's got the better cardio for sure, and you know to put him out cold is gonna be a tough thing to do, man. I mean, this is fucking Michael Bisping, the former champion. You know, granted his last three fights, you know, against a 50 year old Dan Henderson, where he he got touched up a little bit, and then you know the. Uh, the George St. Pierre fight, which is no shame in that at all, 
I feel like people are just instantly writing him, writing him off, and I don't agree at all, man. I feel like uh, he's got the style to go five rounds, as it's been proven time in and time out, man. And I don't think Kelvin has the style to go five rounds. We saw his five-round fight against Neil Magny, you know what I'm saying, where he got taken down like three or four times. He got straight up out-muscled by the longer body frame, which tends to happen. But uh, like I said, I don't think Kelvin's on a mission for gold. And uh, I think Bisping's going to pull off the pull off the upset here now people are just assuming that kelvin's gonna touch him up with a straight left and it's gonna he's gonna get him out of here which look hey if it happens that happens i wouldn't be shocked you know bisping did just get his ass beat three three weeks ago but uh i think people are overplaying that factor here man i feel like everyone's on this fight like i said earlier you don't want to play the fights where everyone's on you, you got to play the fights where nobody's on and uh i feel like bisping's gonna pull off the upset here man it's so interesting for a variety of reasons. Firstly, when I used to be super high on Kelvin Gastelum, it was because that forward pressure, that body kick, the guy stalks you, he cuts off the cage, he lands big combos. But then you watch that fight against Chris Weidman, and yeah, okay, I'm not even going to talk about the fact that he got tapped out by the bigger guy. Let's talk about the first 20 seconds of that fight. So you watch that fight, I challenge every listener in half the battle, go back and watch that fight. The fuck is up with Kelvin Gastelum, you know, putting his hands up like he's Machida with a wide base and he's not even moving. I'm like, this ain't the Kelvin Gastelum I know. This ain't the guy that I bet to go out there and smash uh, Tim Kennedy and, you know, people told me I didn't know the definition of elite. <laughs> this ain't the guy that, you know, I picked to go smash post USADA Vitor. The guy I saw in there versus Kelvin, I was like, the hell is he doing, man? Like, that ain't the guy that I know. And if he comes out here trying to look like Machida against Bisbing, he's going to get picked apart. The way for Kelvin to win this fight, he's got to get back to that forward pressure, you know, because from that southpaw stance, that King's MMA style, you know, kind of like Benny Dariush, man, you got to get in the dude's face. You got to throw big body kicks. You got to let the combinations go. When he does that, man, he's one of the fastest guys in the weight class. And, you know, I truly thought for a long time that he's a he could be a potential top five guy, but he keeps dropping the ball. And, once again, it's it's one thing to take an L to Chris Weidman, the former champion. You know, there's no shame in that. It's just the way he took that L. And I'm not even talking about getting submitted by, you know, a D1 wrestler and this and that. I'm talking about what the fuck was up with that stance, man? Why, why were his hands up in the air like Machida? What was he doing out there? Like, that was a disgrace, man. That wasn't the guy I know. And I know he dropped Weidman at the end of the first round. And we all know Weidman's chinny as hell. We all know Weidman was coming off a three straight, you know, three straight KO streak. KO losses, let me add that. You know, you can say the same thing about Bisming in the sense that he just got his ass whooped three weeks ago. But Bisming is no slouch, man. I mean, recently, Bisming knocked the fuck out of Luke Rockhold on two weeks short notice. This fight's also on two weeks short notice. So it's, you know... Short notice isn't a big deal for a competitor like Bisbing. Now it's going to come down to what actually happens in this fight. The hardest thing for me to predict is how Kelvin's going to come out in this fight. Because if Kelvin comes out with that forward pressure, blasting that body kick, letting the hands go with the big combos, mixing the takedowns, I think Kelvin can win this fight. And I understand why he is the pick for people. But what if he comes out like he did against Wyman, man? What if he's in there trying to be Machida? He's flat-footed. He's not moving. It's like... Then Bisbing is going to pick him apart, and we know Bisbing can go five rounds, no problem. So, you know, I thought the line should be a little bit closer. I understand Kelvin being the favorite. I just don't understand him being a minus 325 favorite. I think Bisbing is being disrespected here. And if I didn't have, you know, three other plays on this card, which I feel better about, then I would take the shot on Bisbing, and it would be a one-unit shot. Because, look, I'm a gambling man at the end of the day. I'm not saying Bisbing is going to win with a huge conviction. But, you know, sometimes it's about the number, man. And that plus 265, I don't fault anyone for taking that shot. It could end up being a super sharp play. I remember when we bet uh, Bisming plus 265 to beat Anderson Silva. I know that's a different matchup. But just saying, this guy's got a history as the underdog. Plus 800 versus Luke Rockhold. I mean, don't count Bisming out is all I got to say. So it comes down to who's got the better game plan. I can't wait to find out. I hope Bisming gets it done, man. But uh, we're going to see what happens. I cannot wait. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute, is Big Marley himself? Big Marley, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, man. Ready for some uh, super early fights. Oh, man, we're some straight degenerates. I mean, not just waking up at 3.45 a.m. in the morning, but I heard that I'm betting on three Chinese debutants against American fighters. <laughs> You're going to be sweating it out, man. I can't, I can't wait, man. Nothing better than a good old sweat at 4 a.m. And look, Kyle, I got to ask you right off the bat because we got these heavyweights with Chase Sherman and Shamil Abdurakimov, and... Look, it is a heavyweight fight, so on paper you can make the argument that someone's going to sleep, but the way that, you know, Shamil and Chase have been fighting, they both go the distance often, man. So what are you thinking? 
Um, yeah, I mean, heavyweight fights are always good for DraftKings because it could end early just because they are heavyweights. Um, but this is lined pretty even on DraftKings. We got Sherman at 8,000 and I could do Rakimov at 8,200. So I think I would rather just go with the betting line and take Shamil there because he's a minus 145 favorite on the betting line while Sherman's a plus 105. So if I'm going mid-range, I would just rather have Shamil. And uh, I think Sherman will be kind of popular just because he's on Twitter a lot and uh, he's got some fans from that. So I think I'd rather fade him and the ownership and go with Shamil. And, you know, a play I really like for DraftKings is Bobby Nash. I know he's 0-2 in the UFC, but I feel like it's a situation where, look, he fought Danny Hot Chocolate. He fought Lee Jingliang. He did really well in those first rounds. And I feel like Sean Shelby is basically telling him, look, Bobby, we can get you a win, but you got to travel halfway across the world for it. And uh, you're going to take on a dude who's lost, you know, his last two fights in a row. He gets finished a lot. I think it's going to be a left hook KO. Personally, Kyle, I'm putting Bobby Nash on my lineup. I mean, are you with me? you passing? What are you thinking? Yeah, I like him too in this spot. Um, I can see him making some lineups. Uh, still early, so I don't know exactly where I'm going, but he's right up there at the top with uh, like Zabit and Gastelum. So it's going to be hard to get him in a lot of my lineups, but I do have interest in him. Uh, but the problem is, do you want him over Gastelum? Because Gastelum is a hundred dollars cheaper on DraftKings. So I think you're gonna have to make that decision, but I like both of them, so I think I'll have some Nash lineups as well. Look, since you brought up Gastelum, I mean we might as well just get right into it, man. And here's my hesitation with this fight. Look, I know on paper Kelvin should come out here, smoke Bisming. Bisming got his ass whooped three weeks ago. You know, I get I get it completely. <laughs> my issue here, Kyle, is that in that last fight with Chris Wyman, I understand it's a different matchup. I know Chris Wyman's a wrestler, but let's not even talk about the grappling parts. Let's talk about right when the fight started. Kelvin isn't even doing that forward pressure that he's known for, the forward pressure that got him to the position he's in. He was kind of standing flat-footed with his hands in the air trying to be a little bit like Machida. I was like, this isn't the guy I know. So it's like, is he going to get back to that old-school forward pressure, left body kick approach that he used to have when he was destroying everyone? Or is he uh, you know, trying to be a new version of Kelvin, which uh, didn't really work out last time? I think he's probably worried about the takedowns from Weidman, so... I don't think he's going to have to worry about that here with Bisping. I think I would actually be picking Bisping if he didn't fight just a few weeks ago um, and get dropped in that fight and choked out. And then he was talking about how he had some hurt ribs going into that. I don't know how those are going to be healed now after a fight and then only three weeks later. Um, so all of those make me want to lean towards Gastelum. And he's only 9,000 on DraftKings. There's three guys ahead of him, so I think he's going to fall into a lot of my lineups, but he is going to be very popular as well, so taking a stab at Bisping in tournaments might not be a bad play. I mean, he's fresh, he's ready to go, I guess, <laughs> if those ribs are good. Um, so I'll have both these guys in my lineups. So stacking in cash, I think, would be okay, too. Uh, but Gastelum's my pick here. Is Kelvin going to score me 90 or more points here? Yeah, I would think he would, man. He's got five rounds to do it. Uh, I would think if he's getting a win, he's getting over 90. So I mentioned right off the top that I'm betting three Chinese debutantes against American fighters, and one of those is Wang Guan, man. He's taking on Alex Caceres. You know what's interesting about Wang Guan? You look at the record on paper, you see 19-1. and one. You don't often see records like that on UFC debuts. When you do, you think of guys like Jimmy Rivera. You think of guys like Tomas Almeida. But he's honestly, you know, I'm not going to say he's a potential top 10 guy like both of those guys, but what, what I will say is that the guy is super solid. He's beating legit guys on the regional scene. He's been in there with Russians. And we know Bruce Leroy is a 500 fighter. He's kind of a jobber. So I'm taking the Chinese man, Wang Guan. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm with you again, man. I like that play a lot. Um, I have a bet on him as well. I do think he's a good underdog play on this. Um, so if you're going mid-range or stars and scrubs, I think he's viable for really all options. I would put him in cash as well. Um, I also like when American guys have to fly over to China because that can't be good on you, I mean, especially for the weight cut. So that makes me want to fade Bruce Leroy as well. Um, so yeah, let's make that money. And the next one was, I mean, you already know the deal here, Kyle. Kylan Curran's fighting again in the UFC. And, you know, most times I don't even have to look at the opponent. But when I did look at the opponent here, I mean, this chick, she's mean. She throws sidekicks to the face. She knocks girls out, which you don't often see. So then I was like, wow, it's not just going to be playing it for, you know, the sake of playing it because she's fighting Kylan Curran. This chick is actually good with top 15 potential. And I ended up going big on it, man. So I got uh, Yan Zionan to go out there and uh, smash Kylan Curran. 
Yeah, she's the underdog on DraftKings as well, so I think that's a good play as well. Since the uh, since she is the underdog on DraftKings, well, she's the favorite on the betting line. She's minus one thirty on the books, but she's only seventy nine hundred on DraftKings compared to Kern's eighty three hundred. So I think she would be the preferred play. Uh, that's cash viable right there as well. Uh, my problem is everyone's going to be looking to fade Curran, so if she's going to be super highly owned, I think I might have to not fade in tournaments, but maybe go with the field or even under it, just because you never know what's going to happen in this fight, and if Curran's going to be under 10% owned, I might even take a stab at her with a lineup <laughs> or two, just because nobody's going to have her, and if she can get a submission, then it just puts me ahead of a lot of people. Man, I just hope that doesn't happen. But you know, it's it's one of these situations, man, where you know how you see those, you know, the pictures of the poster, and you know, you see a, a picture of Kylan Kerr, and you see a picture of Alex Bruce Lee Caceres, but then you see a blank picture next to their opponent, and then everyone that doesn't do their research, they just see a Chinese, they see an Asian name, and they're like, oh yeah, so obviously the American's going to win the fight. But then, you know, you watch the tape and you see like, you know, this chick is whooping other chicks' asses, and it's like. You know, you, you can't just look at a, a blank profile pick and automatically pick the other person anymore. Yeah, I think you're probably right on a lot of these fights. However, since Curran is no name, people I think it'd be people just picking against her blindly instead of looking at the other girl's fight film. So she'll still be over-owned without people even knowing who she is. That's a good point. And also, the last person I'm playing is Yanan Wu, and she's taking on Gina Mazzani. And I mean, I, I don't know if you saw Gina Mazzani versus Sarah McMahon or Gina Mazzani versus Juliana Pena, but, you know, it's one of those situations where she's got absolutely zero business in the UFC. And Yanan Wu, man, I mean, dude, on the regional scene, again, like uh, like uh, Yan Zionan, she's a mean Chinese chick, and she's going out there laying the hands on these girls. Yeah, I don't know uh, how much she's going to be able to score in this, but I think she'd definitely be my preferred play as well because she's the underdog. Uh, I'm not a big Manzani fan at all. So um, that's another good underdog pick in this. And we've we got some money left on the table if we're going with all three of those. So I don't mind any of those plays at all, and I think I would be on the same ones in DraftKings as well. I don't even think I would take any, uh, any shots at Mazzani just because of low ownership, just because she is a – pretty big favorite on DraftKings, and I don't want to risk $8,400 with her in my lineup because I don't, I don't really see her 10xing that salary. So I think it's um, it's a fade on her, and let's go ahead and put you, Wu in some lineups, but I don't know about 100%. Now, I mean, how do you think Mazzani is such a big favorite? Look, if I'm wrong on this one, I'm wrong on this one, but do you think it's a situation where they didn't even put in the work or something, man? Yeah, I mean, uh, people know the name, so I'm thinking that they just open her the favorite and see how the line moves. And luckily, DraftKings put their prices out right after these opening lines came out. So even if we get some line movement, these DraftKings salaries can't change. So that's the good thing about it. Yes, sir, it is. And, man, I know you were looking forward to talking about this one, man, because, look, Zabit Magomed Sharapov is returning. And, man, that debut, I mean, he looked like a prime Pettis 2.0. He's got hands as well as the flashy techniques. But I'll tell you what, if you saw Shaman Marais in the World Series of Fighting, I mean, not only did he fight stiff competition, I mean, he was in there with Marlon Marais, but besides that fight, he was in there knocking everyone out. So this kid comes to fight. I have, I have a feeling whoever wins this fight is going to score a shit ton of points. I mean, you think Zabit's going to make it two in a row where he looks absolutely phenomenal? Yeah, I would think that's probably the likely scenario. Uh, he's fun to watch. I'm really excited for this fight. I think it'll be a fun one. Your problem with Zabit is he's the highest priced on DraftKings, so you're going to have to pass up on a Nash or a Gastelum in order to get up to him in your lineup, I'm thinking. So I'm not going to be 100% on him. I think I'm going to have both guys in some GPP lineups, and I think this is even a sneaky fight to stack in cash as well. Uh, if you're not trying to go with the Gastelum or Bisping and you still want to throw a stack in there, I think this is a good fight, and it'll uh, get the points added up. Speaking of stacking in cash, uh, what about last week with Damian Brown and Frank Camacho? I bet those two put up a lot of points together. Oh, yeah, man. That would have been – you could have stacked that in tournaments and came away with all the money. That fight was awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible, man. And, uh, man, uh, you know, I didn't want to talk about this, but isn't it kind of a low moment that they uh, – shortchanged Damian Brown on that 100K because, you know, Frank Camacho missed weight by five pounds. Therefore, he forfeits his bonus ability. So that 100K should go to Damian Brown. They only gave him 50 as of now. Yeah, I'd have been fine with him getting 100K. I mean, he deserved it. That fight was really – it really made the night. Uh, 
I could watch that all day long. I loved it. No, absolutely. And before I let you go, two more because look, Alex Garcia is returning. He's taking on the newcomer Muslim Salikov. And if you've seen the regional fights for Muslim Salikov, besides the one he lost, the one time it hit the ground, you know, and we saw what happened there. It was like back when Conor McGregor fought Joe Duffy and you know the other guy. But uh, aside from that, Muslim Salikov spin kicks dudes heads off. He's got hands as well. But Alex Garcia, he's got knockout power too. And he's also been able to take down guys such as Sean Strickland inside the octagon. So are you favoring the experience of Alex Garcia or do you think the newcomer is going to be too much? Uh, I'm thinking the newcomer is going to be too much. I'm looking forward to seeing this guy in there. But I like Alex Garcia a lot. I'm usually picking him. So seeing him at the bottom on DraftKings really does make me want to click on his name. Um, so I'm thinking this is a fight that I want to just go ahead and be 100% on. Uh, so I'll take maybe 30 or 40% Alex Garcia and then put the rest on Sally Cobb because I think this is going to be a lot of points no matter who wins. So I want to have a piece of it. Um, and it's kind of in that little mid-range of stars and scrubs. So I think I can get like three of these, maybe Nash Gastelum and him in a lineup and, and go with some of those uh, – those smaller underdogs that we were talking about earlier. So I think um, this is a perfect fight to target in DraftKings. Uh, I don't know what I would do in cash. I think I would probably just get my exposure in tournaments and then and then fade it in cash so I don't have to sweat that out as well. Man, that's um, some tactical advice. I appreciate it. And last but not least, we got the best Chinese fighter of all time, Li Jingliang. He's the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in Chinese MMA history. And he's taking on Zach Otto. And, you know, Zach Otto, every single fight he's had in the UFC has been a split decision, win or lose. Now, for some guys, I really like that quality. Like, for example, in Bellator, uh, Emmanuel Sanchez, you know, a lot of his fights go to decision, but I love betting on him. He's a money train. With Zach Otto, I feel like he's the kind of guy that fights down to, a, you know, his uh, opponent's level. Like, for example, he was a big favorite his last fight against Kichi Kunimoto. He could have went out there, starched this guy coming off a two-year layoff, and, you know, got in there and got a highlight reel finish for his third UFC appearance. Instead, he, he goes to a split decision with that guy's giving up position. I'm like, man, he really does fight down to his opponent's level. So that being said, man, Li Jingliang does get tagged early in all of his fights, but he finds a way to come back. I'm leaning with Li Jingliang for this one. What are you thinking? Yeah, man, I like Lil Jingliang a lot. Uh, he's the first person I put a bet on on this card. Um, I like that um, a Tao has to go over to China and make that long flight, so that makes me like Jingliang more. Uh, and he's going to have the crowd on his side. So he's one of my favorite Chinese fighters. He's so fun to watch, uh, and he scores really high as well. Um, but again, it's just how many of these favorites can we fit in our lineups? I like him a lot as well as these other guys. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be spreading it out. I'm going to get a lot of these guys in there. Uh, I will have no Zach Otto though in my lineups. I'm not a fan of him. He's not going to score highly, even if he wins. So even at his underdog price of 7,400 on DraftKings, I don't know if he can 10 X that. So I'm just going to fade him completely. I mean, do we pretty much cover all the important fights? Is there anything I missed, anything flying under the radar, or do we pretty much cover it all? Nah, man, we knocked it out. Now it's just time to make the money. Yes, sir, you know the deal. Follow this man at Big Marley 3 Kyle, always a big thank you for helping us. I mean, you helped me step my game up. Uh, I told you already. Nick Lentz, and don't ask me. I'm not, I'm not trying to act like a genius about that one because I wasn't. It was simply a case where he was literally the only fighter I could afford on my lineup because I was picking guys like Doom and Volkanovsky. And I was like, fuck it, 6,900? All right, let's throw him in there and see what happens. And then uh, choked out Will Brooks. I was like, wow, Brooks really dropped the ball again. Yeah, I mean, he killed me. Uh, I didn't have any lens, but yeah, that's a hell of a play, and he was on their own, so that's what boosts you up in those tournaments. Yes, sir. I got to personally thank you for helping me step up my game. All the fans are very grateful. Kyle, any message for them before we speak next week? That's it. Uh, I'll have my head to head's posted if anybody wants some action. Good luck, everybody. I do want some action. We'll be in touch after this. Kyle, best of luck this weekend, and we'll speak soon. Sounds good, buddy. And once again, uh, that's a that's big Marley man. I mean, dude, he's just absolutely crushing things lately. I'm learning so much. I had my best DraftKings week last week. You know, I actually took Nick Lentz. How about that, man? You know, he came through. And the only reason I took him not because I had some you know ace in my pocket or any shit like that. Like I didn't even think he was gonna win. It was just I couldn't afford anyone else, and he was the cheapest one. So I was like, oh right, yeah, let's put him in there. And then he finishes the fight. I got a lot of points on that. But you know who cost me? Adam Waitrek, because even though he won, he didn't do shit, so he didn't score any points. And I'm like, Adam, man, like when I pick the right winner, but he doesn't score me enough points. So, uh, 
learn my craft as I go. Yeah, man. DraftKings is a, is a tough game. And Kyle Marley is the guy you want to talk to if you want to win. 100%. Well, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Shanghai? You know, the fight to watch, in my opinion, is going to be... Uh, it's going to be Bobby Nash and Keenan Song because Bobby Nash, he always fights exciting. We know that Bobby Nash is going to come in here, throw heavy leather, and I'm interested to see if he can get that uh, first UFC win. I mean, the guy's been in there with two good guys in his two fights, and uh, they're, I know they're trying to get him a win here, and uh, I'm interested to see if he can get his first UFC win. I know he's got a kid on the way, so I'd like to see him do it. Yeah, I mean, look, my fight to watch is Zabit Magomed Sherpa versus Shaman Marais. You know, Zabit, obviously, his UFC debut, he looks like Pettis 2.0 in his prime. The spinning shit with Chris Boxing. But with Shaman Marais, man, I know a lot of people don't know him, but I'm here to tell you the kid's no slouch. The kid comes to fight. So these two are going to throw down until one guy falls, or it's going to be a three-round war. So for that reason, that is my fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch? My fighter to watch is going to be Yan Zhang. And look out for this girl. Like I said earlier, we got a favorable matchup against Kylan Kern in our debut in our hometown, the first female Chinese fighter signed by the UFC. And like I said, if you look at the history of this chick, she's born to do this, man. She's doing wushu since she was five years old. And I mean, she's a real fighter. She was born to do this. And uh, I think she's going to have an impressive UFC debut and move on to bigger and better things. Yeah, look, my fighter to watch is the former champion, Michael Bisbing. I mean, everyone's criticizing him for taking this fight on short notice. But for me, I'm like, man, the dude's got balls of steel. I mean, he took on Luke Rockhold on two weeks short notice and knocked him out in the first round. Now he's taking on Kelvin Gastelum on two weeks short notice after getting his ass whooped and losing his belt. But it shows you the kind of fighter he is to get back on the horse, get in there against a super tough guy in Kelvin Gastelum. And uh, holy shit, Jimmy Rivera versus John Lineker is in the works. But yeah, I mean, look. Bisbing is a perennial, you know, he's always been a perennial top five guy, but now he's a former champion. Now he's got the chance to beat Kelvin Gastelum, get back on the horse. And it's going to be a tough task, man. I mean, if he gets this win, that's a huge win. Anytime someone can beat Kelvin Gastelum, only three people have done that. Two are former champions. You know what I'm saying, man? So anytime anyone can beat someone like that, it's huge for their careers. And I just want to see how he bounces back after that devastating ass whooping. But knowing this guy's spirit, knowing the kind of warrior he is, if anyone can get this win, it's Bisbing. So let's see what happens. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down. Saturday at 3.45 a.m., UFC Shanghai, Bisbing versus Kelvin. And, man, I'm pumped. Uh, they can follow you at MMA Genius 05. Any message for them before we go? Nah, man, just, you know, thanks for the support. You know, look out for my uh, breakdowns on my website. And uh, I'm going to keep uh, getting that money in, you know. it's You know, these last two events, I, was just, I really was just trying to tread water until I could get to this opportunity. I've been looking my chops on it for about a month, and uh, it's going to pay out well. Yeah, I'm very excited, man. I mean, I was happy to get back on track last week. And, I mean, look, we've been on track long term for the last three years but there are streaks in this game and now i'm ready to start another win streak and you can follow me at best fight picks go to bestfightpicks.com for the play subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud youtube and stitcher make sure you hook up those five star reviews we're trying to get in that top 15 of the itunes charts so until the next time let's cash these bets